0: Hello everyone and welcome to Journey to Success Radio Network. Our purpose on Journey to Success Radio is to interview and promote people who are making a positive difference in this world. My name is Tom Tutal Cunningham. I'm a motivational speaker helping people to live positively with and through the many and varied challenges of this life. I've had rheumatoid arthritis from my jaw to my toes since the age of five. That's 45 years now, so you can figure out my age from that. And I've had four hips, four knees, and two shoulders replaced. And I've been hospitalized about 40 times. I also stand about five foot one, hence the funny nickname "too tall." And that's due to the heavy doses of the steroid prednisone that I took to fight my arthritis. Despite my physical challenges, everyone who knows me knows I always answer "amazing" when asked how I'm doing. I tell people that 80% of the time it's true. The other 20% of the time it's to remind myself that it's true. So find out more about me and uh, my website. Also, you can get the radio interview at my website, Tom, the number two, and tall, dot com. My guest today is the amazing Elizabeth Wright. Elizabeth Wright is a Paralympic medalist, a motivational speaker, academic, and activist, She was born in Sydney, Australia with congenital limb deficiency. Elizabeth was raised with a positive attitude and a firm self-belief. And this attitude and belief has given her the determination and get-go to achieve much in her life and to continue achieving regardless of the obstacles and barriers she crosses. At the age of 13, she decided that she was going to swim in the Paralympic Games. She achieved this goal only three years later, competing in the 1996 Atlanta Paralympic Games and then the Sydney 2000 Paralympic Games, and in all, she won three medals at the Paralympics. She lives in the U.K., where she works as a speaker and an activist, propelling her to new goals and achievements in raising awareness of disability and motivating those in schools and business to overcome obstacles, set goals, and exceed uh, self-expectations. She believes everyone has the capacity to succeed in life, and it is with this belief that she activates action and self-belief in her audiences. And before I welcome her, I forgot to mention that my amazing co-host for this show is Colin Gilmartin from Louisiana. Woo! Colin is a certified Napoleon Hill Foundation instructor like myself, and he works mostly with kids. And uh, he has an amazing book out uh, for kids on the Think and Grow Rich principles called Dream Training. So, uh, welcome, Colin. Good morning, Uh, training. Good
1: morning, Elizabeth.
0: Uh, Good morning, Elizabeth. Welcome to the show.
2: How are you?
0: (laughs) (laughs) And so now that we've all gotten going, Elizabeth, I'm. uh, uh, Let's explain to the audience because congenital limb deficiency. Okay. Sounds bad, and it sounds like a medical term. So, explain it a little bit uh, so that people know what that means.
2: Okay, that's that's fine. It does sound bad. Quite quite often when I describe it to people, they they think I might be missing all my limbs or something like that. Um, but essentially, I'm missing half my right arm. And it finishes at the elbow. I'm missing half my right leg, so I wear a prosthetic leg to get around. Um, and I'm missing a finger on my left hand, and that's pretty much it in a nutshell. And I've I've been like that since birth.
0: Since birth, okay. So I could beat you in an arm wrestle with my right arm. <laughs>
2: uh, yeah, quite easily. <laughs> <laughs>
0: and so, and so since you're uh, you were born with this, and so uh, probably like other people I've interviewed similar to yourself, probably your parents. Uh, May not have known this was coming, and it probably was <laughs> a ginormous shock for them i guess
2: uh it it definitely was they the only inkling they had that that something may have been wrong was mum was getting extra ultrasound um, so essentially they had really no idea. My poor mother when when I was born, she was basically knocked out for four days, she didn't get to see me right away. Um, so you know it was, it was kind of in the late seventies, and there was still a lot of very much stigma attached to to disability and and Unfortunately, for my parents, yes, they weren't really told about about the disability or what to expect so
0: that must be enormously tough and of course, one of the most famous people um like yourself, Nick Vochicken, and he said his mm-hmm. uh, mother wouldn't even hold him or look at him for few days till she came to grips with it and uh, so at some point they have to sit down and say okay here's our plan of action and like my parents i think my parents decided okay let's make it as positive let's let him participate in everything he wants there were some understandings you know if you participate in sports one day you're going to be severely in pain the next day but positive and so your parents made that decision that okay let's let's make this as positive as we can. And so even in your introduction and in everything I read about you, it says you were brought up with a positive mindset. Uh, so that must help you tremendously, right?
2: Oh, it, it does completely. You know, I'm I'm the youngest sibling in the family. My my brother and sister are quite a lot older than me. And, um, you know, Mom and Dad decided that the, the best thing for all of us was to raise me Exactly the same way they've raised my older brother and sister. So I've got no special treatment. I was raised to believe that I could do anything and, and everything, even if it meant, you know, a little bit of problem solving in there, you know, um, to be able to do things. So there was always a way to, to get around any obstacles. So
0: Excellent. Well, one more thing, and then I'll have a call and ask you one. But uh, yeah, as you said, you've got to be creative. And I was just thinking of... Uh, that myself today, that you do have to... uh, What a lot of people don't realize about handicapped people is you do have to be creative. Like, I have a sock putting on device... I can't be, I can't put socks on myself, so I have a device to put yeah. a sock on. I have a device to pull my pants up. My dad has a saying, you know, everyone puts their pants on one leg at a time, but I <laughs> told him, well, that's yeah. not true, Dad. I put mine on the floor, I use a dressing stick, and I pull them up because I can't bend down yeah. to pick them up. And so, as you said, you've got to adapt, and you learn that from an early age, and, yeah. and it's good that your parents decided, okay, let's let her figure it out rather than get her uh, siblings to... Uh, do everything for her because that could be a great temptation as
2: well exactly exactly it was i think i still i still grew up with with two sets of parents though (laughs) my brother and sister still like to boss me around and stuff like that. But I think that's the case with any older
0: siblings. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Any siblings are going to be like that. Now, I do have a funny story that I love to tell, is that when I was uh, young, around 16, I had two paper routes. And in Canada, in our winters, having paper routes is a mm. miserable experience. <laughs> and so there was lots of time not lots, but there was numerous times where I could have done them but I pulled the I'm too sore thing and had my sisters do them and I paid them less than what I actually made doing the delivery so while they were doing them I actually made money and there were probably a a number of times that I could have done it but I was just like no let's let them do it (laughs) (laughs) and if we sat down with you privately you probably snuck a few in there on them as well
2: Oh, yeah, yeah. I had I had my ways of, of getting back at my siblings. <laughs> so, <laughs> sneaky ways, ways which maybe um, able-bodied people wouldn't even think of, so... <laughs> <laughs>
0: All right, Colin, your turn to jump in here. Here's your well, first sure. on the stage, on the radio question and interview.
1: Well, I'm so excited to speak with you, Elizabeth. I, I read your profile on, on the website, and I... You are amazing, awesome okay. and amazing, as I'd like to say. My question for you is: What what feelings did you have to overcome as a young person to get to where you are now? Uh, seeing that I coach a lot of young kids, and I see, mm-hmm. I see the fear that they have, and these are just these are, um, you know, just a lot of just generally young kids. You know, they're all healthy, they're all they all have an opportunity here, but. I still see fear, I see doubt, I see insecurity and it reminds me a lot of myself growing up as a young kid. So that's yes. my question for you.
2: Um, I, I guess, you know, growing up in the family that I did grow up in, it it was I, I like to say to people I was kind of raised able bodied if that makes sense. So I was never kind of entrenched in this idea that I was very different. Um so, when it came to actually being able to do things or trying things or whatever, whether it be a physical or mental um, fear or block i I tended to just throw myself wholeheartedly in, into it, believing that i could I could do whatever it was that I was trying to do. So I kind of never really lived with any particular fear or worry or anxiety about being able to do anything. I'd just give everything a go and, and if I could do it, I could do it. If if I couldn't, even with a bit of creative problem solving, I would just move on to the next thing.
0: Hmm. I like that, I like that. <laughs> There's a famous speaker in the US, W. Mitchell, and he Oh yes, I've heard
2: of W Mitchell.
0: Ah, nice. And so his saying, you know, before he was paralyzed, uh, there was 10,000 things he could do, and now there's only 9,000, so he could freak yeah. out about the 1,000 he can't do, or he could focus his time and energy on the 9,000 he can still do. And exactly. That's kind of, exactly. That's kind of where your where your focus is. And uh, Now, and one thing I was thinking of, because I get it, and my attitude towards it over life has changed, is, you must get uh, people staring, and kids is the kids is the one that sometimes used to annoy me. You know how kids yeah. whisper to their moms so loud you can hear them three aisles over. Mom, mom, why is that guy so short? Mom, mom, why does that guy walk like that? And so yeah. you must you must get that fair share of kids tugging on their moms. Mom, mom, what's wrong with that girl? <laughs>
2: Um, I, I definitely do when I was a teenager I will admit it, it used to annoy me a lot you know it used to start to get to me quite a bit but as I got older I you know I came to realize that it's it's just they don't know they don't understand it's something new and and so these days um, if if I do hear a child kind of you know saying mom, mom what where's that lady's arm and and so on and so forth I'll actually go up to the child and you know, kind of kneel down and explain to them. And, and quite often I find actually with with children, it's more a fear that I'm in pain than anything else. Um, oh, yeah, and so when, you know, they'll ask me if my arm hurts and as soon as I say, no, my arm my arm doesn't hurt, they'll go, oh, okay, you know, and, and kind of move on from it. So um, <laughs> it, it's kind of... Interesting I think in swapping around my own attitude that it's actually you know, I see it more as an opportunity to educate the the children that, that maybe just have never experienced disability before. So, you know, it's an opportunity I see it more as an opportunity than, than something detrimental or negative now.
0: Exactly. And I've experienced the same things with my nephews and niece as they grew up. And they're fascinated by their Uncle Tom. How come your arm doesn't bend? Can you reach the back of your head? How come you put on socks that way? How come you walk that you know, way? Can, can you do this? Can you do that? And all kinds of, and you know, now, because I'm 5'1", so as they get older, they're yeah. like, I'm taller than Uncle Tom. I'm taller <laughs> than Uncle Tom. Woo! And so as I grew up, I experienced the same thing. And as you said, it's more of a fascination. It's a concern, as you said. They ask me, are you sore? How, how often are you sore? Yeah. All those kind of things. But it's more a fascination or a, a, an interest because they exactly. know their uncle, they know their uncle Tom, and they know that he does what he does. And, and but they are exactly. curious about it. And so when I was young, you know, in my head, I would be thinking of awful things to say to this kid, or thinking of kicking them in the <laughs> butt or something. But as I got older, now, I, as you say, I go and talk to them, and it's like, yeah, this is the way I am, and you know, you're exactly. trying to edu- educate them a little bit.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, when when um, on my right arm, I actually have a, a small little bump where um, there are actually fingers that didn't grow properly. And uh, when my nieces and nephews were growing up, I used to call it my play pause button. So <laughs> they'd greet me and they'd run up and and hit my fingers and I'd be paused. And they could <laughs> leave me like that for you know half an hour and they'd keep a keen eye on me, make sure I wasn't leaving. <laughs> And I'll be begging for them to press play. I kind of figured it's about you know it's it's about education. It's about not making it such a serious thing. You know, kind of making it a bit of fun, a bit you know, not scary. So
0: exactly, Uh, Colin. How about yourself with your work with kids? There Uh, got uh, got some other questions for Elizabeth.
1: Well, I got another question, Um, Elizabeth. When you were making what went into making your decision to compete Mm -hmm. in the olympics that just sounds like that is a out of this world kind of goal for you at 13. could could you talk a little bit about that
2: yeah sure um as as i'm sure you can imagine I, i mean it's pretty similar in canada the summers in australia are really really hot really hot So, a lot of people have backyard pools. So, I grew up with a pool in the backyard, loved being in the water. You know, in water, I could do things that I couldn't do on land. So, you know, I could do handstands and cartwheels and stuff in water, which just, you know, it couldn't get me out of the stuff. And um, and so, I absolutely loved water, but I had no idea what I could do with it. And um, when I was about 12, I found out about the Paralympic Games and... I started getting an inkling of, ah, huh, you know, maybe this is something I could start to aim for. And um, it was at the point when I was 13 that I dragged my parents out of bed at 3 a.m. one morning mm-hmm. to watch this announcement on television that Sydney had won the right to host the 2,000 Games. And I just remember turning to my mum and dad and saying, I'm going to swim at those Games. I just, I knew in my head and in my heart that I would swim at those Games.
1: That's incredible. That's a beautiful
2: story. Thank you.
1: <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, I
0: have a I have a funny visual in my head because with one arm not good and one leg not good, I just have a visual of you swimming in circles.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I get off I get, I get that all the time. Why can you just pass down, down? <laughs> around? Um, I really have no idea how I didn't. I just, I don't know. I just, um, I think, unconsciously adjusted myself so that I wouldn't get asked that question an awful lot. (laughs) The
0: visual is pretty funny (laughs) in my head.
2: (laughs) I know. Maybe maybe at the Paralympics, they should have a circular pool as well. (laughs) Yeah, there you go.
0: (laughs) So many circles around the pool. Uh, and I love what you said about being in the pool, because we had a pool as well, and for arthritis, pools are used for therapy. And you're right, like, when I'm in a pool, I'm like, wow, my knee can bend like that? I didn't know that. And it's like, oh, my, my ankle has some movement in it? I didn't know that. I thought it was totally fused. And you, I'm not doing handstands or cartwheels or anything like you, but uh, <laughs> at least I can do more. I have more range of motion in a pool than I have elsewhere.
2: Yeah, yeah. Well that's you know, it's a testament to the power of water and, and the and being in the pool and stuff. I think it's an amazing tool for people with disabilities to use.
0: Exactly. Now I'm thinking of you speaking in schools and I'm thinking like kids. Kids must sit there with their eyes wide open. They must sit there in awe or or <laughs> something when they see you speak. Describe what that's like because this is what Napoleon Hill calls a definite purpose, and I think okay. that you've gone through what you've gone through. Your purpose may be to help kids with understanding of so many things.
2: Yeah, um, it's it's one of the things with my speaking business that I my favorite 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 part is going into schools and. Talking to kids, no matter the age, you know, I've I've spoken to kids who are four years old, up to to kids who are 18 and just about to leave school, and and quite often, you know, I really get into my story. I try to encourage some interaction. You know, one of my favorite bits in my talk is... uh, when I'm trying to get the the kids to imagine what it's like to crawl with one arm and one leg, and usually I'll get a few volunteers come up onto the stage and have a go at it, and you know their classmates just love it because you know they're, they're you know I admit they're making a bit of a fool of themselves. On stage. <laughs> it, it, is, it can be hilariously funny, but they all have a laugh about it, and you know it's it's fantastic. You know I think it's just for me, it's about getting on that stage and talking to them in as open a manner as I possibly can and to be as honest as I can with them about what it's like to live with a disability, um, how it's not the end of the world, it's not the end of your life if you do have a disability, and that really essentially I'm just like them. I just My body's just a little bit different and you know by the end the, the kids I think definitely have a wider understanding of what it's like to be different and that it is okay to be different.
0: Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's okay to be different and it's not affecting who you're who you are, your goals. You just may have to go no. at them differently or a different angle.
2: Exactly.
0: But even more exactly. than an even more than an adult audience, I imagine the feedback must be just enthralling or Oh, you it, must, fe- you it, it, must feel, like, amazing for, like, a day after, because they ask oh, cool oh. questions, they pay so much attention, they're so curious, where, you know, some adults can be more hum-ha, sit on their hands, you know, not yeah. ask questions. And so with a ch- with kids as an audience, it must be extremely fascinating and interesting, and probably you get questions that you're like, wow, <laughs> cool questions. <laughs> I do. You
2: know, I, I get the usual questions of... Um, can you write, can you do your shoelace up and and stuff like that. But um, I was actually at a school down in Kent the other week and it was a very tiny school, only about 111 students in there. But probably the most interesting question I've ever received came from a student at this school. This student is four years old and asked me about water displacement wanted to wow. know how I stayed up in water and he's, he's four years old and I couldn't believe it and I i was just like I'm not I'm not scientific in any way <laughs> so I was just left there going um, I'm not sure you might have to ask the
0: teacher
2: <laughs> <laughs> so you know I, I was just absolutely gobsmacked by by this question from from this kid but um you know it's not just questions about the disability it's questions about the Paralympics as well and you know, I think it's it's just a great tool for the kids to learn, really, to just ask anything that they're usually afraid to ask, but they can just go ahead and, and do it. So,
0: Exactly, exactly. Any other questions there, uh, Colin? I'm sure you got uh, a thousand with all the kids you think you're Absolutely. working with. <laughs> exactly. So, so listen,
1: you, when you made that decision, when you said to your parents that you were going to swim in the Olympics, uh, in your home country, what did they say to you?
2: <laughs> um. <laughs> okay. Essentially, they they turned to me and they said, "All right, darling, we believe you, but don't get your hopes up." <laughs> <laughs> was, you know, it was. It was I, I mean, you know, when I was thirteen, I was I was absolutely, you know appalled that they didn't believe in that instant that I was going to swim at those (laughs) games. But as an adult, I realized that, you know, they had my best interests at heart. They just didn't want me to be upset if I failed. Um, But I think just for me at that point, I was so sure that I would be at those games that even to have a tiny element of doubt from mum and dad was a bit off-putting, you know. It's a bit like, but hang on. You know, I am going to swim at those games. You know, um, wow. but you know they supported me a hundred percent from the get-go, and they were absolutely amazing. And uh, especially my dad. You know, and he was there at nearly every training session, every competition, and was just an absolute amazing support. Wow.
1: Well, you bring up you bring up a couple bit really big points big in that point. in what you just said when you're hmm. that parents don't want the, their young kids to to fail right but I think it's yeah. important that you know I mean William James the great philosopher said believe in your belief will create the facts and I think that that's what happened yeah. when you made that decision to say yeah. I w- I'm going to go do this and yeah. I just I think that's amazing
2: yeah it's um, it's kind of the, the way that I've seen my life is, you know, I've made these decisions and once I've made these decisions, then I've focused on that and I've worked towards that. And what I find is that when it is the right decision for me, quite often the doors of opportunities open so easily and the right people appear when I need them and and so on and so forth and you know it's kind of very magic in that way that that you know you set these goals and and they seem to come off in in such a way that is so smooth and almost not easy because trust me training for the Paralympics is not easy (laughs) um but you know it, it just flows it just you know smoothly goes along and and before you know it you're there at the end and you've reached your goal The
1: universe is conspiring for your success.
2: Oh, yes. And I think that's the same for absolutely everyone. Absolutely everyone.
1: Oh, man, you guys are
0: pumping me up here. (laughs) You're talking right up uh, Colin and Mai's alley because Napoleon Hill talks about so much of this. And one thing you said that was like so magic was that you knew, and what you only knew was in your mind when you told your parents that you were going to succeed at that. You knew, and that was what confused you, that you knew so strongly that you were confused that they were like, how come they don't see this knowing part that I already have in my brain?
2: Exactly. You know, I was already, in that instant, I was already seeing what it was going to be. And it was a bit hard to, to kind of have mum and dad not being able to see that as well, um, you know. But I think as I went along and I started to have successes in competition and stuff, they, they started to see what I was
0: seeing. <laughs> so, you know, it
2: took them a little bit longer than me, but eventually they started to see it. <laughs>
0: And I like, also, I think that the universe looks at the motives behind what we do. And some people might say, well, I'm going to be in the Paralympics so I can be get sponsored, make money, be famous, mm-hmm. you know, all the material things. And yeah. people would say, well, that's why I want to be an Olympic medalist. But uh, yeah. the things you do are not... You're not starting off with, okay, how can I make money or benefit from this? You're giving of your time, your energy, your service to help other people uh, learn to live positively. And so I think the universe says, okay, she not only believes it, she's not doing it for her own personal gain. She's doing it to show the world what she can do and what other people can do.
2: Exactly. You know, quite often I finish off my talk you know, we're just very simply saying, you know, if I can do this, then surely you can as well, you know? it's not, it's not rocket science, it's not some, you know, using some crazy kind of equation or anything like that to achieve success, it's just about knowing your purpose, having the focus and dedication and determination and passion and the belief that you can do that.
0: Oh. I love it. I love it. I love it. <laughs> now also when you decide on a goal you also have to decide on deciding on focusing a ton on a goal also means you have to decide to not focus on a ton of other things. And that could mm-hmm. be wasters of time like T V and other things and but at the same Perfect. time you gotta you gotta give up some time with friends, you gotta give up some time with family and so uh, talk about how that having that definite purpose and that focus allows you to make those decisions in life as to okay, I need to give up these things, and here's you know because I have a strong purpose.
2: Yeah, um, I I will I will admit that um, maybe maybe any teachers out there won't like this, but I will admit that my schoolwork did slide a little <laughs> when I was training for the Paralympics. I was just so focused on my swimming that for me everything else did come second, third, fourth, fifth or sixth, you know, it was it was very much I saw this opportunity to be able to swim in my home games, which as an athlete, an elite athlete, that is an absolute dream. And so for me during that time from thirteen up until twenty when the games would have would have well were on, I was just so focused on what I had to do and to train and to let go of of everything else in life, knowing that once this dream was over I could always pick up that other stuff, you know, it's not it's not the end the, you know, the, the end all of, of, of you know, right. a social life or school right. or right or anything like that, you know, those things can always still be there and, and, you know, there's there's proof in that. I didn't go straight to university after finishing high school, but I went after I finished swimming. (laughs) So, you know, it's just about getting the priorities right and knowing deep down what my purpose was and letting that be the pull, you know, and, and there's something very satisfying about that feeling, you know, Yes, I, I may be missing out on a movie with friends, or going shopping, or staying up late to watch TV, or, or whatnot. But you know what? When you're standing on that podium with a with a medal around your neck, you you're kind of thinking, "Well, it was worth it." <laughs> you know, it was worth it.
0: Exactly, it was worth it.
2: Mm. Yeah.
0: Uh, Colin, any other uh, questions you have? This is like, uh, you guys are just getting me excited here. This is uh, good stuff. <laughs> we could go on stuff. for
1: longer than an hour, couldn't we, Tom? <laughs> yeah, exactly.
0: We could go on all day.
1: <laughs> I, I think it's been, uh, I think it's amazing. I think it, what would you, if you had one thing to say, Elizabeth, to... I don't know a generation of young kids about discovering their purpose or a goal or something that they wanted to do, be, or have. What would you What would you say?
2: Um, for for me, quite often, I a few years ago I spoke in a school, and I tend to finish off my talks with saying that uh, I believe in myself, but perhaps most importantly, I believe in you. And I look at the kids, and I I look them each in the eye, and I say i believe in you and and i had a a teacher this is from a few years ago i had a teacher come up to me afterwards and say you know what i don't think any of these kids have had anyone say i believe in you to them
1: and i couldn't Uh believe
2: that and i've kind of made it a a focus that you know it's about Believing in yourself, backing yourself 100%. Even if no one else backs you in your dream or your goal or whatever it is, as long as you back yourself 100%, it is always going to be possible. The moment you say, oh, no, I don't think I can do it, then that's it, you might as well give up on that dream. But if you every day are saying, you know what, I can become a university professor, I can become a national, I can become a doctor, I can become an Olympic athlete, if you're reminding yourself of that belief every day, then the possibility of it coming true, I, I believe, gets stronger and stronger and stronger.
1: Mm. That's
0: incredible. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and now sell your new book. This is kind of cool. One thing I Yay! have... one. One one question I have about the book, because I'm writing one with a few other uh, authors as well, is how do you write about yourself without using the word I all the time? Cause it's <laughs> annoying to try and learn that.
2: I know. Well, considering that um, I've only in the past few years come off about seven years of uni- straight university and writing academically, I will say it was hard to switch to, <laughs> to kind of non-academic writing but still maintaining that certain level of, of objectivity. So, um, you know, it was tough to write it. It took me about nearly two years, but it's, it's done. I'm, I'm happy with it, and I can't wait to release it out into the world and, and see what happens.
0: Hmm, I know what will happen. A lot of people are going to read it, and a lot of people are going to be inspired by it, and a lot of people are going to say, you should read about this girl. This is amazing. I'm oh, sorry. <laughs> Not but only that
1: she... She's speaking to two people that will certainly read it, for sure.
0: Exactly, exactly. Can you put a picture on the cover of you swimming in circles? <laughs> I should.
2: I should do that, actually. I, I, I imagine starting the cover for it, so
0: there you go. <laughs> yeah, uh, people would remember something like that, <laughs> or they'll come up with a visual themselves. And so uh, this is uh, this must be different. It's kind of different to speak for me. It might be similar to uh, yourself, is that in my private life. I never Mm -hmm. talk about arthritis or my disability. My friends know I have it. My parents know Mm -hmm. I have it. My family knows I have it, so we don't have to talk about it. They don't ask me, are you sore today? Have you been sore lately? Is it annoying you?
2: Uh,
0: And so, or even with friends, even with Colin, you know, probably Colin can uh, uh, verify that, you know, I... I never talk about this stuff. I have it If you ask me about it, okay, I'll answer your question, but then I'll try and get you onto something else because it kind of annoys me to talk about it so when you're yes. when I'm speaking in front of an audience I'm telling them that actually this definite purpose is not something I wanted because to share about how painful it was how How much struggle I went through. It's not fun. You go through the same emotions yourself and you have to talk about yourself a lot. I did this and I did this and story about me and me, 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 me. (laughs) And so it must be a little bit different when you're trying to in your real life just take the focus off of, hey, stop looking at my arm and leg and just get on with life. And now you're standing in front of people telling them me me this and me me that so how's that that must be kind of different like for me as well as for you
2: um i i definitely um you know i i guess i'm very fortunate in that my family and friends have have never really seen my disability as a big deal Um, you know, I mean, even to the point where my, my older sister, who is 11 years older than me, and, you know, she's, she's known me for well over 30 years now. And, and a few years ago, she asked me, what hand do you write with again? And I, I kind of just looked at her like, well, I've only got my left hand. So, you know, I write with my left hand. She's like, oh, yeah, you know, um, you know it's it's kind of a lot of a lot of that kind of stuff happens with with family and friends, and I really do find it quite refreshing especially especially if you do have a full day of speaking and you know no matter what I'm speaking about, I'll always explain my disability first because I think that's absolutely crucial and you know I get asked a lot of questions about my disability when I am out working and it's it's something that you know it's something that you just have to deal with i think it's, it's just reminding yourself that people people may not have come across someone exactly like you and they're just curious and they want to know. And, um, you know, it's, it's better that, you know, they get information from people who actually live it than, than people who don't. So, um, so I kind of have a nice split, I think, between having a nice break from thinking about the disability and being seen as, you know, just Elizabeth. Um, and then when I'm working, you know, I'm Elizabeth Wright, Paralympian, speaker, dis- Disabled Woman, and, and so on and so forth. So, you know, there is a distinct separation, which is nice.
0: Which is nice. And, and probably your family, like I know my family, they must be very confused why people pay to come see me speak, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my sister says, I've been hearing you speak for free all these years.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I know, it's it's probably true in a way. I mean, it, it happened even with the Paralympics. My my cousin's son, Alan, he he was very young when I swam at the 2000 games. But he apparently a few weeks out before the games turned to his mum and asked her why why I was swimming at the Paralympics and not the Olympics, and she had to remind him that I was missing an arm and a leg. So. You, you know, I think I think your family and your friends do tend to they they just see you as as you, you know, I'm sure your family sees you as Tom yes. you're just Tom. You know, exactly. I'm just it, You know. It's you know, we're multi layered, multifaceted human beings with, you know, different interests and and thoughts and feelings, you know, not just the disability, so
0: Exactly. It's only when we're in public and speaking and sharing Um, that it becomes the focus, but the rest of the time you're just someone else to bug in the family or someone else, you know, (laughs) just someone else in the family. (laughs) And you're not getting away with anything because they know what you can do and what you can't do.
2: Oh, gosh, yes. Oh, gosh, yes. (laughs) Definitely. (laughs)
0: Nice. Now, are you going to swim again? Because what is that, two uh, Olympic Games now?
2: Yeah, that's that's you, a Very long time ago, it <laughs> um, make me feel old, Tom. <laughs> yes,
0: yes, 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 yes. Um, come on.
2: Twelve years um, later,
0: fourteen years later, you could come back.
2: <laughs> I could just go back, you know. No, I, I, I. I'm not going back to swimming. I do still swim occasionally to stay fit. Yeah. But I have set myself a new physical challenge because, I firmly believe that. You know, life is really this journey that we can make absolutely amazing. And and I kind of see that as, as, well, I set myself challenges that I pursue and believe that I can pull off. And my next, I guess you could say, physical challenge is that I'm planning on walking across Spain next year. So I'm kind of in training for that at the moment. I go for, you know, I'm building up my stamina and my strength with walking and getting stronger and... You know, I've I've started off originally barely being able to walk a mile, and now I can almost walk five miles without any issues. And you know, kind of working towards this end goal, a bit like what the Paralympics were. And I'm very excited to be pursuing this. And you know, you never know; there might be another book in that that walk across. Yes, yes. So we'll see what happens.
0: Why Spain? Did you did you pick the shortest country to walk across?
2: Um, I think if I was going to do that, I would have picked the UK here, where I'm living. <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, you could have picked something smaller.
2: <laughs>
0: How did you decide on Spain? You figure I want to go there, and this is a good reason. Um,
2: there, there in Spain, there is this uh, pilgrims' walk called the Camino. Um, and my a very good friend of mine, she actually walked it last year and uh to support her, it took her six weeks and to support her I turned up at um Santiago, you know, her own little cheese squad to welcome her in and and she came in and she was exhausted and had blisters all over her feet, her toenails were falling off. Mm. You know, it was all rather horrific looking. Um, and then we're sitting there one night with tappas and some, some gorgeous red wine and she turns to me and she goes, you know what Liz, I want you to do this walk. And I turned to her and I said, well, I, I think I will. So yeah. that's kind of where the decision came from and uh, my friend Tara and I, Tara is Canadian actually, um, we're, we're going to do it together, a uh, walk from the border with France across to Diego next year. Wow.
0: And that's a positive mindset, because a lot of people would have said, are you crazy? You look like hell. I don't want to look like that after it.
2: I know, I know. But, but you know, the way she talked about it, it was this amazing, almost spiritual experience for her. and. Um, and I kind of felt that it was something really special, and you know, just as the Paralympics was really something special to do, this is my next challenge, my next Mount Everest, you might say, and, <laughs> and I'm determined to get there. So.
0: And what happened when you told your parents this time? Did they just sigh <laughs> a big sigh, like, and look at you um, like, oh my
2: gosh? <laughs> My dad kind of says to me, like, yeah, okay, you're going to do it because whatever you say you're going to do, you do. My mum is actually more worried about my prosthetic leg. She's worried that it's going to fall apart on me partway through the wall.
0: Yeah, because people don't think of that.
2: about prosthetics,
0: Yeah. And because I'm from Canada, Terry Fox tried to run across Canada with one leg.
2: Yeah. And
0: uh, so we learned about prosthetics and, you know, how many he had to replace and the problems that yeah. he caused in the stump. And so, of course, a mother, that's immediately what mothers think of. Oh, what could go wrong? What could happen? My baby, my baby. <laughs> And uh, but your dad like oh yeah okay <laughs> <Yep>. again <laughs> okay
2: he's gonna do it so you're you know. gonna do it
0: yeah how can we help
2: yeah yeah <laughs> I think um they're probably just glad they're still living in Australia so they don't have to you know they're not kind of confronted with it right there so um, right, right. You know, they can take a break from it, so. yeah
0: yeah. You don't need us to follow you around Spain for a month, do you?
2: Sorry, sorry, (laughs) sorry.
0: Nice. Well, make sure this is all videoed, and as you said, it's going to be another book,
2: and uh, it'll be an
0: amazing adventure.
2: I I think it will be. I am hoping to be able to do video blogs, um, like blog with with that, and... um, and keep that going, and hopefully link into a lot of the schools that I've spoken at and businesses, and and use it as another motivational tool for other people, really. So, you know, again, that old that that old premise of hey, I'm doing this, and if I can do this, then you know, you know what, you can ace that exam or get that promotion or whatever. So, I know. love it.
0: I love it. Well, yeah. Colin and I will be following everything and Absolutely. sharing and talking to people about it. <laughs> And how do we get your book? How how do us uh, North Americans get your book? You better send me okay. one, autographed and everything.
2: <laughs> well, it, it is on pre-order at the moment, and if you buy it pre-ordered, it will come signed. Um, it's actually from a a online bookshop over here at the moment on pre-order, uh, www.oodlebooks.com yeah. forward slash Elizabeth. Um, and yeah, it's on pre-order. Publication date is for mid-May, so they'll be shipped out from mid-May. And, you know, it's my autobiography. It takes you from my birth up to the 2000 Paralympic Games. And it was a hell of a journey to write the, write the thing. And I absolutely would love to share it with as many people as I can.
0: Excellent. Well, Colin and I are going online to pre-order it today, and uh, oh, so we. Cute. I want to thank you. This has been so much fun. I, I don't think I've laughed so much during an yeah. interview before and had so it's much fun crazy. because we... it been great, Tom. <laughs> And Colin, you did well. You didn't sound it's too uh, nervous or freaked out or anything.
2: Well. Also, <laughs> like a also walk in the park so much. or a
0: swim so in the pool. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> swim that's in the pool. Around and around.
2: I know, I know. You know, you can always try. I'm sure it's fun. <laughs>
0: now I looked at your website today. I think uh, you are one of the lucky people that has your name as a website, or smart people, one of the two.
2: Um, I was I was very fortunate. There are quite a few Elizabeth Rights out there who who have websites. But I managed to snag one with my name in it, which is good. So
0: which is .dot net. Elizabeth Wright, and so everyone, not everyone knows how to spell Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T dot net.
2: Yes, not, not right as in I'm right all the time, although sometimes I'm sure I like it. Very right, good. Right
0: <laughs> Thanks for joining us today, Elizabeth, and have yourself an amazing day.
2: Thank, thank you, Elizabeth. Thanks so much for having me. It's been a blast.